Hey guys, my name's Wayne. Uh, some of you will know me. Yes, a lot of you will know me. Um, that's going to be ideal. <clears throat> I haven't been to church a wee bit a uh, lot lately. Some of you might have known that I usually sit at the back so you don't see me anyway. Uh, but... Um, I've been um, rowing, learning how to row. Row, 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 your boat, my wa- boat, my wife calls it, which I really hate her saying that. You had to row, 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 your boat, Wayne. Um, so I rang Craig a while ago and said, look, I've, um, we started practising for a regatta, rowing for a rowing regatta, rowing regatta in Waihola in Queen's birthday. So I said, look, I'm going to have to row Saturday and Sunday mornings. And I told the team, I said, I'll, I'll get through to then and then I want to stop and Sundays I want to go back to church. So that's why I sort of haven't been here. And so anyway, um, I'll tell you a little bit about We went to this rowing regatta in Waihola, and uh, we did this thing called the long race, and you start from the Henley Bridge, which is just off the flood free, and you row down to Tyree Mouth. It's about an eight-kilometre stretch of water, a lot of bends and that sort of thing. And um, so you jump in at Henley, you row down there. There's about 40, 50 boats rowed down. You sort of row down in your own time, take it easy. And then it's a race back from down there. It's back. It's... And so you get down there and they line you up just in front of the Tyree Mouth Bridge and they, they sort of line you up and the fastest boats leave first on the way back and the slowest last because you don't want a lot of congestion. So if it goes to form, no one will pass each other. You know, so, um, so they, they started, we were about the middle of the, middle of the road, fine body of men we were. And um, so we started and we, we passed three boats. We rode over the top of them, we literally rode over the top of one of them and we... <laughs> Went straight into it. And there was uh, <coughs> some very colourful language that I'm probably not going to say from up here what it was, but we apologised later in the day for that. Um, but we, we rode past these three crews, and all I'd say is we had a brilliant 7.8 kilometre race, but the race was eight kilometres long. And as we got very close to the end, there was literally about 100 metres, maybe 90 metres, we rode straight into the bank, and we just stopped. Bang. It was really embarrassing, and it was right where all the crowd were watching as these great people come down. <laughs> So we ran on there, and so the oars are stuck there, so we're trying to get ourselves out, and we're literally 20 metres from the finish line, and these three boats just rode past us through. <laughs> we get there, so um, we, uh, we didn't cover ourselves with glory, but it makes it a better story, you know? It's a better story. And um, I want to tell you that one, one, it's a good story to tell, because it's always fun to get up and poke a bit of fun at yourself, isn't it, you know? And it's, it's, it's a funny story that's worthwhile being told. But um, also I wondered, I'm going to be speaking about morality today. And morality is a bit like rowing that river. You know, you've got, you've got your moral laws, you've got the, the banks of the river, and you've got a lot of twists and turns that it goes along. But the banks don't change. The laws are there. You have to navigate your direction. And as we come down the river, we were always changing direction. And at the end, we got excited and we got it wrong, and we hit the bank. But um, it's a bit like life, isn't it? You've got to constantly have, am I doing things right? Am I on the right course? And um, you have to keep adjusting, adjusting your direction, or at least I do, and I'm sure you guys do too. Um, we've been tracking through the genius of Jesus over the last few, um, probably four or five weeks, and there's a few more to come. I think Craig spoke last week on the genius of the good, which I thought was a really good sermon. Um, Craig's a good speaker, obviously, but also... He's looking at the difference between you know what's right and what's good, and they're not always the same thing. And this sort of, in some ways, um, carries on a little bit from there. But 
The definition of morality, uh, I won't, won't spend too long on this, I think we've probably all got a pretty good idea in here what it is, but I'll just put it up there. The definition of morality, the principles concerning the distinction between right and wrong and good or bad behaviour. Okay? The principles concerning the distinction between right and wrong or good and bad behaviour. So I've got a question that I um, want to start with, and it's a question that I want you to discuss. I don't want anyone to call out and, uh, and ask me something or, or that I don't want you to embarrass me. I don't want to embarrass yourselves. But it's a question that I want you to discuss yourselves. If you're, if you're by yourself, you can move somewhere else, or you can just sit there and do nothing and, and just think about it. Or if you're in a group, have a chat. And the question is, do you think a general New Zealand collective morality has got better or worse over the last 50, 60, 70, 80 years, you know? Back from some time, maybe the 50s or the 60s. Do you think, do you think a society, the morals of our society have got better or worse? And I don't want you to sp focus on a specific thing, because we'll all be able to find one thing that we know is, yeah, that's definitely better or worse. But it's more kind of a general feeling, you know, a general look at the broad picture and think, wonder is our society better now? from a moral point of view, or is it worse? And a, a way to approach that, to give yourself a really good insight, is think, would I want to go back and live, perhaps 60, 70 years ago? You know, if you think it was a more moral society, you might think, well, I'd love to go back there. I'm sure we'd all like to live in a more moral society no matter what. You know, so that's a, that's a really good way to figure out for yourself if you really do think there's been an increase or a decrease in morality. So have a chat about it for like a minute or two. Have a chat to someone and just... You know, I'm just going to ask at the end, I'm just going to ask for a show of hands, we'll have a, a snap poll in the church, and see what you all think. Um, so yeah, has, do you think collective morality's got better or worse over the last 60, 70 years? Is that still going? Good. So look, you all seem to be talking and doing something, so that wasn't the worst question I've ever asked. Uh, so that's good. Um, who thinks our New Zealand society, the morals of our New Zealand society have got better over the last 60, 70 years? Okay, cool. Who thinks they've got worse? Okay. Who's not sure? Who would rather we finish this up and just had a coffee? <laughs> hey, now for that, it's going to go a lot longer, and it's going to be really boring. Um, okay, interesting, and it's interesting, I've been asking some people who aren't Christians, most of my friends aren't Christians, and I've been asking them that question, and it's, yeah, some of them think it's been better, some of them worse, you know, it's just a really interesting question. I'm going to tell you what I think, I think it's got better, probably, I mean, there's some parts of it that have got it worse, but I think... As a whole, I think lots of parts of it have got a huge amount better. And just, just a couple of reasons why is, um, is I think uh, if I look at our, our attitude towards women and their rights and the way that they used to um, really have no rights, I think, and that's half our population, that's not insignificant. It's not a minority. That's been a big increase in the way we look at it, I think, around uh, racism and our treatment of, of minorities, I think we've had big inroads there, you know, I think, I think, personally, I think we've, I think we've tracked better, you know, but anyway, so we'll move on from that there, I'm, I know I'm in the minority now in this church, so um, that's what I think, Gloria Vale, 
Have you all heard of Gloria Vale, Christian community? Like, I'm assuming most people have heard it. Am I right? Like, hand up if you've heard of it. So, yeah, so you sort of get the gist of it. It's, um, what, there'd be two or three, four hundred people on the West Coast in the Gloria Vale Christian community. And um, they've sort of got their own, like, commune or their own way of doing things. I guess they've got their own rules they try to live by. They, they close themselves off from the world. Got no issues with that. Um, but I'm just interested because there was a John Campbell investigation that some of you guys might have seen. Who saw that last week? I'm assuming a few people. And he, he went and had a look at it and he, he shone the light in on some of these things and had a look at it. And this is, a, this is a community that I think there's probably lots of good things and bad things in the glory of our Christian community. But John had a look at it and we found that there was some stuff in there that wasn't quite so good either. There was some, um, there's been a degree of sexual abuse in there. There's been a lot of a lot of physical abuse. Um, there's been some things that, that aren't, so, aren't so good, which is, it always interests me, they say, when we, when we get a group and we try to set up and tell people how to live and live by a certain very strict moral code, it always seems to come out somewhere else that it just doesn't quite work. Some parts of it work, but, and in this situation, I'm sure they had a lot of really good morals that a lot of us would um, agree with. But for some reason, those things seem to pop out in other places. They're not so good stuff. It's interesting. You know, Gloria Vale is not dissimilar to the way the world was that were, that question we've asked of 60, 70, maybe 80 years ago. It's not really that dissimilar in the way and perhaps their values and the morals and the way they try to do things, you know. Um, it makes you wonder if you'd want to go and live in Gloria Vale. You know, if you, if you think the world was better back in those times, would you want to go and live in Gloria Vale? You know, with their, the way they do things. I mean, very, a lot of very moral stuff, but also a big restriction in your freedom, probably. And that, I don't want you to answer that. It's just, it's, it's a way to, we grapple with these things, don't we? You know, like there's, there's perhaps not black and white. We're trying to figure these things out. Um, Chloroval probably doesn't have any drug problems, I'm assuming, or very few. You know, it's, um, I'd say there's not a lot of gang shootings happening at the moment in Chloroval. You know, I'd say there's probably no starving kids. Um, probably no real poverty, you know. I'd say in lots of ways, there's probably a lot to like in that community. There's a lot of things that we would like, you know. But um, there's also other things. There's there's little freedom for most of the people there, isn't there? There's a there's a very small group of the people at the top that make the rules and say, do this. Um, there's little freedom for most. There's lots of manipulation and coercion. Lots of control over people misappropriation of power, right down to women not having control over their own bodies sexually. You know, so these are some of the things that, that came through in that investigation, and we, and we know these things happen when we, we try to put these strict rules on. You know, and it reminded me of... Um, it reminded me a lot of the church I grew up in in Milton which was a Brethren church, and it was a very, very strict Brethren church. And I've got few fond memories of it. But I'll manage to work my way through some of these things. But um, when I look at that church that I grew up in, and when I'd be taken along there with my very short hair and my tie on, my suit when I was about six, and I felt really ashamed in front of my mates who would see me going in there. And we were very, you would look at us and you'd think, we were really moral, you know? We were good people. There was... I never heard anyone in that church ever, even outside of it, swear. There's no swearing, no drinking. You know, if there was sexual promiscuity, it was very, very rare. 
and and in my from what I remember it was non-existence. These were good people. They they never broke the law. They did good things, you know. And I'm sure you would look at that church from the outside. And I know people did look at that church from the outside and thought, man, you're good people, and they were good people, you know. And I've managed to work through, and I can now look at the people there and think, you were good people, you know. But They were looking from the outside and I was on the inside and I know what was happening and I know what it was like and there was a huge amount of pride. I mean, we were the only real Christians in the world. You Baptists, yes, were no good. Yeah, you know, yes, weren't even going to heaven. Yes, didn't, yes, didn't have things right. The brethren were very strict. It was like we, this little church there, we had a handle on truth. The rest of you are wrong. There was a lot of pride. There was a lot of cruelty. There was a huge amount of cruelty when I look at it now of, of and that caused mental anguish, that you were, you, you were made to do stuff and, and say stuff and that, that was just, just not nice, you know. Um, there was impossible standards set up that no one could live to. You couldn't live to their standards, none of them did either. But you couldn't live to the standards that we had in that church. You just, you know, you were set up to fail, you know. So I, I, I looked at that Glory of Our documentary and I... I really struggled with it because it brought me back to the church that I grew up in, you know. And, um, and you see it with a lot of things, don't you? You see it with, um, hang on, let me try and get this sorted. There we go. You see it with a lot of churches, other churches as well. I just want to say one thing before I move forward because I'm going to say some stuff that's not particularly nice or, or it's not that it's not nice. It's can cast a negative view of churches and religious organisations, but I remember I was down at this church not so long ago at Paddy's funeral, you know, and I like Paddy. He used to come and see me sometimes, and he was always nice to me after church. And I remember sitting here and Ian Clark come and sat beside me, and there's some other people here. Some of you were here, and it was just I remember sitting there thinking, this is a good church, you know, this is a good church, and you know I'm not trying to make you all feel good and that sort of thing. I mean, we've got all the same problems with everyone else, but I feel pretty lucky that this is a good church full of some pretty humble people. And the reason I know you're humble is you keep letting me get up here, you know. That's, that's got to take a bit of tolerance and grace, you know. So, um, but moving on from that there, I notice a lot of churches out there, eh, that, that we, we try to set up these rules and, and it, it, it seems to turn into custard. You know, you can, you can think of other ones. You can think of Destiny Church often over the last couple of years has had a very strong opinion on a lot of things that, that personally some of it I don't mind but some of it I really struggle with, you know. Um, Hillsong's having their issues, isn't it? You know, they've had some major issues lately. Arise in New Zealand, they've had some issues. And of course, we could, um, we could look at the biggest religious organisation, the Catholic Church, and the, you know, the child abuse which we really shouldn't call it child abuse, it was child rape, you know. Um, and all of these organisations, a lot of them seem to go wrong when they focus very down on trying to, on our human weaknesses and telling us how to live. All of those, they seem to have this, this is how you should live. Any church religion or indeed organisation that seeks as its main aim to bring what they consider a better morality Without fail, they seem to cause more damage and problems than what they're trying to solve. Now, that's just an opinion of mine, but that, you know, you might, you might, 
think that too. You might see, man, these, these people are always trying to tell other people how to live, but something bounces out. Something doesn't, doesn't work, you know. It goes wrong. It always goes wrong. It's been said, it's been said that absolute power corrupts absolutely, which I've always believed. But recently I read a guy that challenges that assumption, and it says absolute power reveals absolutely, which I thought was fantastic. You know? And of course, if God is absolute power, is God corrupt? Well, I think we'd say no. So absolute power corrupts absolutely. Must be wrong from a Christian perspective. Um, but I thought it was really interesting that absolute power reveals, it reveals your character, it reveals intimately your character. And um, if we have a look at, you know, like right now, perhaps uh, Vladimir Putin, you know, and what's happening, and our very own Queen, you know, you know, they've both got virtually absolute power in their respective areas, you know, with one becoming seemingly more proud and arrogant and one becoming more humble, you know. The power has revealed their characters. I believe it is this power that is often present in churches and religions where infallibility is claimed of sacred writings and the interpretation of those writings that leads to pride and power. History shows us that it takes very little for the claim, this is the truth, to very quickly become, you must do this. That's been my experience and that's my reading of history. It seems strange that the Christian church has in many cases in the past focused solely on our human weaknesses and tried very hard to fix those human weaknesses around things like sex and drinking and gambling and swearing, but has very little to say sometimes about things like pride, respect, fairness, slander, greed, boastfulness and putting people down. The strange thing is that the founder of the Christian faith, Christ, seemed to just about have exactly the opposite approach. The opposite focus. He seemed to prefer to hang out with those who others considered the ratbags, the sexually immoral, the thieves, the drunks, the gamblers, and didn't really seem to think that much of the so-called good people. One of the things they called him was a glutton and a drunkard. I love that, eh? It's, just, it's one of the coolest things I hear. You know, it says in Luke 7:34, the Son of Man has come eating and drinking, and you say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard a friend of tax collectors and sinners, Christ, founder of the Christian faith, they called him a... He's out there, he's eating too much and on the booze too much. That's what they're saying about him. You know? I think another way, another thing we need to look at here when we start to look at Jesus' attitude towards people that we would consider, or they considered, I guess, not so good, and perhaps we would as well. You know, we, we would look at people and think, ah, a bit morally inferior. is I think it's helpful to look at the relationships he had with them, but try to look at them in a very human respect. Because sometimes we read these scriptures, don't we, and we've read them so much that they lose all impact, but they also, we sanitise them and we civilise them, you know. But Jesus seemed to be friends of the prostitutes and the drunks, the thieves. So what does that mean? Because if you're a friend, you hang out with people. And I wonder what it was like when he was friends with prostitutes, you know, back in those days. What's a friendship like that like? You know? Um, does he go around to see them at nights? You know, as he says, oh, I'm going to look, I'm going to come around later on. You know, it might come around tonight. And what is the process? Well, actually, I'm going to still be working until five o'clock, she says. Maybe come around at six. You know? And they would both know what that was being talked about. But Jesus was a friend 
and they still had a... And, and you get on with your friends and you have pretty honest conversations with your friends. I don't know what he thought of some of that there. Doesn't tell us. You know? But I think it's, we've got to look at it and think, okay, that's a, that's a real relationship. He knows what's going on. You know? Friends with people who were drinking. Was he, was he there when they were drinking? You know? Did he have a beer with them? Did he not? You know, did he, did he stay with them all night and they got drunk and then he put them to bed and cleaned up the vomit? Did he get up in the morning and they said, oh, I'm sorry about that, had a big night? You know? These are the things. I don't, I don't know what happened with these things, but this is a way to put it into really proper personal human experience that would have happened. The thieves, I think. Friends with the thieves is an interesting one. Um, I can sort of get the other two. I struggle with this one a bit myself. Not thieving, by the way, just in case you think I'm going there. <laughs> yeah, see you on way. Because um, the thieves that he, we're talking about are the tax collectors. Okay, they were calling them the thieves because they would they would get the taxes from Rome, but they would take a little bit extra, you know, from what from what we look from what we read about from that era. And so they're stealing money off their own people, you know, stealing money from their own people. And Jesus is hanging out with them. He seems I don't know if he's okay with it, but he's. He's hanging out with them, and I wonder if he goes out for a feed with them and they pay. Well, hang on, now I'm, I'm getting food provided for me by money that's been taken from my own people unfairly. Now I think, I mean, you know, how would you feel if someone here, at least say someone's ripped this church off for 20 years, you know, and taken a fair bit of money, and we think, oh, invite us down to Montese for a feed. Oh, he will go down and we'll... Um, have a feed and they're going to pay for it with the money that you guys have given and that we've given. And I, I wonder if we'd have a bit of an opinion on it. You know? I think I would. Yeah, I think I'd be thinking, hang on, I'm not sure if that's that, that good that you're going down there having a feed on basically the money that's been stolen from a church. Jesus is hanging out with these people. I, I really just bring that in to try to really show that this was a real thing. It wasn't, we try to sanitise these things, but it wasn't Jesus just standing there and being very holier than thou and sort of having a, an offhand relationship with them or a power and balance relationship. It's a friendship. He's hanging out with them. He seems to like them. He seems to be able to forgive them and tolerate that stuff. And Yeah, I think, it, I think that's really interesting. Eh? It's always intrigued me that Jesus seemed to be very nearly uninterested in the obvious and easily observable sins of immoral people. He seemed to tolerate and even maybe overlook some of the things we might, we might be the most scathing and most critical of around moral looseness. And even seemed to like these people a lot. And yet, he was brutal in his condemnation of what society called the good people, especially the religious ones, probably from the church that I grew up in. Matthew 23. This is, and he's talking to the religious people here. You know, I've said some pretty brutal things from this platform. I've said nothing compared to what Jesus is saying. What sorrow awaits you religious people, you hypocrites? For you cross land and sea to make one convert, and then you turn that person into twice the child of hell that you yourselves are. That's incredible. Another thing, he's talking to religious. So, so practice and obey what the religious people tell you, but don't follow their example, for they don't practice what they preach. They crush people with unbearable religious demands and never lift a finger to ease the burden. That's an incredible thing to hear from Christ, isn't it? They crush people with unbearable religious demands and never lift a finger to ease the burden. It's got an impact on me. 
So let's have a bit of a, um, let's, let's look at a story now from the Bible, okay? And let's, let's see if we can find out Jesus' interaction with some people here. So we're going to read the story. It's in, uh, the story of the woman caught in adultery. It's in John 8. If you want to, you can turn to it if you want to, or I'm just going to read it. But it's John 8, 1 to 11, okay? Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives, but early the next morning he was back again at the temple. A crowd soon gathered and he sat down and taught them. As he was speaking, the teachers of the religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. They put her in front of the crowd. It's always interesting to me that they bring the woman and not the, not the guy as well. It takes two to tango in my experience, you know, but there's just the woman, you know. They put her in front of the crowd. Can't be much fun for her because if she's been caught in the act, you don't know what state she was in. You know, was she naked? Did she have some clothes on? You know, we just don't know. It can't be much fun. That's, that's pretty humiliating. Teacher, they said to Jesus, the woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her. What do you say? That's pretty brutal back in those times, eh? They were trying to trap him into saying something they could use against him, but Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger. I don't know why. doesn't say why. I've heard a lot of commentators. I was going to talk on it. I decided not to because we just don't know. For some reason, they were asking him a question. He got down and started writing something in the dust. You know? We don't know what. I'm not going to try to figure it out. They kept demanding an answer. So he stood up again and said, All right, but let the one of you who has never sinned throw the first stone. Then he stooped down and wrote in the dust again. So that's what he said. All right, but let the one of you who has never sinned throw the first stone. Man, it's brilliant, isn't it? And brutal. When the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest, until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. Then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, Well, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, Neither do I. Can't sin no more. Yeah, I won't bother either. You know, just behave. Don't do it again. It's kind of what he says. I think that's a really powerful story. It's, it's, I especially love that, you know. You who are, who are without sin cast the first stone. I mean, we, that's, that's become into our popular culture, isn't it? And I think it's come in because it's, it, it teaches us a lesson. What is the key lesson from this? All of us, especially those of us who are religious, have a tendency to focus on other people's issues, which results virtually always in a feeling of pride and moral superiority. Jesus, as he always does, forces you to confront your own sins and problems first and work on sorting yourself out before he allows you to sort out others. Only when our pride goes, because we realise that we are no better and actually probably a lot worse than others, and then humility comes in. Hang on, it just and humility comes in, which brings in empathy. Only then are we in any state to really help others. There's something that C.S. Lewis said about morality. The sins of the flesh are bad, but they are the least bad of all the sins. All the worst pleasures are purely spiritual. The pleasure of putting other people in the wrong, of bossing and patronising, and spoiling sport and backbiting, the pleasures of power and of hatred. For there are two things inside of me competing with the human self which I must try to become. They are the animal self and the diabolical self. 
the diabolical self is the worst of the two. So what have we learned here? What have we learned in this very, very simple and elegant sermon? Firstly, churches and religions often seem to focus on people and society's human weaknesses and human flaws and overlook the spiritual sins of pride and greed. Jesus seems much more comfortable with our human weaknesses and sins and completely repulsed with any of the spiritual sins of arrogance and pride and unfairness. And how do we navigate these distinctions of morality, these human and spiritual weaknesses and flaws? Well, the only way that I know that will keep our view of morality real and true and correct and honest is by following Christ's famous saying and example, love your neighbour as yourself, which at its heart just simply means be fair, treat people fairly. I'll leave you with this quote that comes from G.K. Chesterton. He's a, a, I don't know if you guys have ever read him, but he's, he's a very older Christian writer. I, think he's, I often think he's the most sensible man that ever lived when I listen to his writings. Um, and it just helps me keep things in perspective when it comes to our churches and organisations. And I think it's a quote I'd never heard before, and I think it's, it's worthwhile listening to. And the quote is this. Many non-religious people have the sins of men, drinking and sexual promiscuity. Many religious people have the sins of devils, which are spiritual pride and rebellion. I think that's a really powerful statement. Many non-religious people have the sins of men, which is drinking and sexual promiscuity. Many religious people have the sins of devils, which is spiritual pride and rebellion. Some sin comes directly from human weakness, some sin comes directly from human pride. I guess we've got to ask ourselves, where, do my sin, where does my sin come from and where does your sin come from? You know, it's an interesting question to ask. Jesus saw, that very clearly, sorry, Jesus saw this very clearly and his overriding caution to all people was, don't act morally superior because you are not morally superior. You are a ratbag. It's worth remembering that we are all just sinners, saved by grace. And as the band actually just played, the best way to move forward in some ways is in the words of that famous hymn that we just sang. Turn your eyes upon Jesus, look clear on his wonderful face, and the things of this earth will grow strangely dim, the light of his glory and grace. Cheers. Thank you very much. <laughs>